The U.S. defense industry is large, complex, and competitive. It is also lucrative for those companies able to navigate it successfully. The American Society of Military Comptrollers helps bridge the gap between the boardroom and the battlefield while supporting transformation in the defense sector. The Business of Defense podcast brings you inside the companies working to achieve this directly from the business leaders and to understand how they create value for their companies and their customers. For more information on ASMC, visit asmconline.org. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. This is the London Visited podcast on your favorite podcast provider, bringing to you the facts, history, and information about different parts of this great capital. If you have been to London, are planning on visiting, live here, or just love London from afar, then this is the podcast for you. Hi, I'm Steve, and welcome to our podcast. We're here for all things London, and to tell you more behind some of the iconic places and people in London's history. In this episode, we go to Hampton Court Palace for part one of our two-part look at this royal retreat. Don't forget to visit and subscribe to our YouTube channel, London Visited, to see videos covering this place and so many others across London. Also, if you love the podcast and the channel, why not join us as a member? Join our group of what we like to call our London Visited Crown Jewels, where there are many different benefits, including a members-only monthly podcast. Have a look by going to patreon.com forward slash London Visited. And now to this week's podcast. Hampton Court Palace is a grade one listed royal palace in the London borough of Richmond upon Thames, 12 miles, 19 kilometres southwest and upstream of central London on the River Thames. The building of the palace began in 1514 for Cardinal Thomas Worsley, the chief minister of Henry VIII. In 1529, as Worsley fell from favour, the Cardinal gave the palace to the King to check his disgrace. The palace went on to become one of Henry's most favoured residences. Soon after acquiring the property, he arranged for it to be enlarged, so that it might more easily accommodate his sizeable routine of courtiers. The palace is currently in the possession of King Charles III and the Crown. In the following century, King William III's massive rebuilding and expansion work which was intended to rival the Palace of Versailles, destroyed much of the Tudor Palace. His work ceased in 1694, leaving the palace in two distinct contrasting architectural styles, domestic Tudor and Baroque. While the palace's styles are of an accident of fate, a utility exists due to the use of pink bricks and a symmetrical, if vague, balancing of successive low wings. King George II was the last monarch to reside in the palace. Today, the palace is open to the public and a major tourist attraction, easily reached by train from Waterloo Station in central London and served by the Hampton Court Railway Station in East Moseley in transport for London Zone 6. In addition, London bus routes can also get you outside the palace gates. The structure and the grounds are cared for by an independent charity, Historic Royal Palaces, which receives no funding from the government or the Crown. In addition, the palace displays many works of art from the royal collection. Apart from the palace itself and its gardens, other points of interest for visitors include the celebrated maze, the historic royal tennis courts, and the huge grapevine, the largest in the world as of 2005. 
The palace's home park is also site to the annual Hampton Court Palace Festival and the Hampton Court Garden Festival. Thomas Worsley, Archbishop of York, Chief Minister and a favourite of Henry VIII, took over the site of Hampton Court Palace in 1514. It had previously been a property of the Order of St John of Jerusalem. Over the following seven years, Worsley spent lavishly 200,000 crowns to build the finest palace in England at Hampton Court. Today, little of Wolseley's building work remains unchanged. The first courtyard, the base court, was his creation, as was the second, in a gatehouse, which leads to the clock court. Wolseley's seal remains visible over the entrance arch of the clock tower, which contained his private rooms. The base court contained 44 lodgings reserved for guests, while the second court, today clock court, contains some of the very best rooms, the state apartments, reserved for the king and his family. Henry VIII stayed in the state apartments as Worsley's guests immediately after their completion in 1525. In building his palace, Worsley was attempting to create a Renaissance cardinal's palace of a symmetrical plan with grand apartments on a raised piano noble, all rendered with classical detailing. The historian Jonathan Foyle has suggested that it is likely that Wolsey had been inspired by a manual for cardinals that included advice on palatial architecture, published in 1510. The archaeological historian Sir James Summerson asserts that the palace shows the essence of Wolsey, the plain English churchman who nevertheless made his sovereign the arbiter of Europe and who built and furnished Hampton Court to show foreign embassies that Henry VIII's chief minister knew how to live as graciously as any cardinal in Rome. Whatever the concepts were, the architecture is an excellent and rare example of a 30-year era when English architecture was in a harmonious transition from domestic Tudor, strongly influenced by Perpendicular Gothic, to the Italian Renaissance classical style. Perpendicular Gothic owed nothing historically to the Renaissance style, yet harmonised well with it. This blending of styles was realised by a small group of Italian craftsmen working at the English court in the second and third decades of the 16th century. They specialised in the adding of Renaissance ornament to otherwise straightforward Tudor buildings. It was one of these, Giovanni Dumanio, who was responsible for the set of eight relief busts on Roman emperors who were set in the Tudor brickwork. Wolsey was only to enjoy his palace for a few years. In 1529, knowing that his enemies and the king were engineering his downfall, he passed the palace to the king as a gift. Wolsey died in 1530. Within six months of coming into ownership, the king began his own rebuilding and expansion. Henry VIII's court consisted of over 1,000 people, while the king owned over 60 houses and palaces. Few of these were large enough to hold the assembled court, and thus one of the first of the king's building works, in order to transform Hampton Court to a principal residence, was to build the vast kitchens, these were quadrupled in size in 1529, enabling the king to provide a bouche of court for his entire court. The architecture of King Henry's new palace followed the design precedent set by Worsley, perpendicular Gothic-inspired Tudor with restrained Renaissance ornament. This hybrid architecture was to remain almost unchanged for nearly a century, until Inigo Jones introduced strong classical influences from Italy to the London palaces of the first Stuart kings. Between 1532 and 1535, Henry added the Great Hall, the last medieval Great Hall built for the English monarchy, 
and the Royal Tennis Court. The Great Hall has a carved hammer beam roof. During Tudor times, it was the most important room of the palace. Here, the king would dine in state, seated at a table upon a raised dais. The hall took five years to complete. So impatient was the king for completion that the masons were compelled to work throughout the night by candlelight. The gatehouse to the second, inner court, was adorned in 1540 with the Hampton Court astronomical clock, an early example of an astronomical clock. Still functioning, the clock shows the time of day, the phases of the moon, the month, the quarter of the year, the date, the sun and star sign, and high water at London Bridge. The latter information was of great importance to those visiting this Thameside Palace from London, as the preferred method of transport at the time was by barge, and at low water, London Bridge created dangerous rapids. This gatehouse is also known today as Amberlynn's Gate, after Henry's second wife. Work was still underway on Amberlynn's apartments above the gate when Amberlynn was beheaded. During the Tudor period, the palace was the scene of many historic events. In 1537, the king's much-desired male heir, the future Edward VI, was born at the palace and the child's mother, Jane Seymour, died there two weeks later. Four years afterwards, whilst attending mass in the palace's chapel, the king was informed of the adultery of his fifth wife, Catherine Howard. She was then confined to her room for a few days before being sent to Sion House and then on to the Tower of London. Legend claims she briefly escaped her guards and ran through the haunted gallery to beg Henry for her life, but she was recaptured. King Henry died in January 1547 and was succeeded by his son Edward VI and then by both his daughters in turn. It was to Hampton Court that Queen Mary I, Henry's elder daughter, retreated with King Philip to spend her honeymoon after their wedding at Winchester. Mary chose Hampton Court as the place for the birth of their first child, which turned out to be the first of two phantom pregnancies. Mary had initially wanted to give birth at Windsor Castle, as it was a more secure location, and she was still fearful of rebellion. But Hampton Court was considerably larger and could accommodate the entire court and more besides. Mary stayed at the palace awaiting the birth of the child for over five months, and only left because of the uninhabitable state of the palace with the court being kept in location for so long. Her court departed for the much smaller palace of Oatland. Mary was succeeded by her half-sister, Elizabeth I, and it was Elizabeth who had the eastern kitchen built. Today, this is the palace's public tea room. On the death of Elizabeth I in 1603, the Tudor period came to an end. The Queen was succeeded by her first cousin twice removed, James I, and the House of Stuart. Two entertainments for the Stuart Court were staged at the Great Hall in January 1604, the Mask of Indian and China Knights and the Vision of the Twelve Goddesses. On the 6th of January, Scottish courtiers performed a sword dance for Anne of Denmark. Later in 1604, the palace was the site of King James's meeting with representatives of the English Puritans, known as the Hampton Court Conference. While an agreement with the Puritans was not reached, the meeting led to James's commissioning of the King James Version of the Bible. King James was succeeded in 1625 by his son, the ill-fated Charles I. Hampton Court was to become both his palace and his prison. It was also the setting for his honeymoon with his 15-year-old bride, Henrietta Maria, in 1625. Following King Charles's execution in 1649, the palace became the property of the Commonwealth, 
presided over by Oliver Cromwell. Unlike some other former royal properties, the palace escaped relatively unscathed. While the government auctioned much of the contents, the building was ignored. After the restoration, King Charles II and his successor James II visited Hampton Court, but largely preferred to reside elsewhere. By current French court standards, Hampton Court now appeared old-fashioned. It was in 1689, shortly after Louis XIV's court had moved permanently to Versailles, that the palace's antiquated state was addressed. England had joined monarchs, William III and Mary II. Within months of their accession, they embarked on a massive rebuilding project at Hampton Court. The intention was to demolish the Tudor Palace a section at a time, while replacing it with a huge modern palace in the Baroque style retaining only Henry VIII's Great Hall. The country's most eminent architect, Sir Christopher Wren, was called upon to draw the plans, while the master of works was to be William Talman. The plan was for a vast palace constructed around two courtyards, at right angles to each other. Wren's design for a domed palace bore resemblances to the work of Georges Monsart and Louis Levu, both architects employed by Louis XIV of Versailles. It has been suggested, though, that the plans were abandoned because the resemblance to Versailles was too subtle and not strong enough. At this time, it was impossible for any sovereign to visualise a palace that did not emulate Versailles' repetitive Baroque form. However, the resemblances are there. While the facades are not so long as those of Versailles, they have similar, seemingly unstoppable repetitive rhythms beneath a long flat skyline. The monotony is even repeated as the facade turns the corner from east to the south fronts. However, Hampton Court, unlike Versailles, is given an extra dimension by the contrast between the pink brick and the pale Portland stone coins, frames and banding. Further division is added by the circular and decorated windows of the second floor mezzanine. This theme is repeated in the inner fountain court, but the rhythm is faster and the windows, unpedimented on the outer facades, are given pointed pediments in the courtyard. This has led to a courtyard to be described as startling, as of simultaneous exposure to a great many eyes with raised eyebrows. During this work, Half the Tudor palace was replaced and Henry VIII's staterooms and private apartments were both lost. The new wings around the fountain court contained new state apartments and private rooms, one set for the king and one set for the queen. Each suite of state rooms was accessed by a state staircase. The royal suites were of completely equal value in order to reflect William and Mary's unique status as joint sovereigns. The king's apartments faced south over the privy garden, the Queen's east over the fountain garden. The suites are linked by a gallery running the length of the east facade, another reference to Versailles, where the King and Queen's apartments are linked by the Galerie de Glace. However, at Hampton Court, the linking gallery is of a more modest proportions and decoration. The King's staircase was decorated with frescoes and intricate ironwork. Other artists were commissioned to decorate various rooms and furnishings, after the death of Queen Mary, King William lost interest in the renovations and work ceased. However, it was at Hampton Court Park in 1702 that he fell from his horse, later dying from his injuries at Kensington Palace. He was succeeded by his sister-in-law, Queen Anne, who continued the decoration and completion of the state apartments. On Queen Anne's death in 1714, the Stuart dynasty came to an end. Queen Anne's successor was George I. 
He and his son George II were the last monarchs to reside at Hampton Court. After George I, six rooms were completed in 1717 to the design of John Vanbrugh. Under George II and his wife, Caroline of Asbeck, further refurbishment took place, with the architect William Kent employed to design new furnishings and decor, including the Queen's Staircase, 1733, and the Cumberland Suite, 1737, for the Duke of Cumberland. Today, the Queen's private apartments are open to the public. Since the reign of King George II, no monarch has resided at Hampton Court. In fact, George III, from the moment of his accession, never set foot in the palace. He associated the state apartments with a humiliating scene when his grandfather had once struck him following an innocent remark. He did, however, have the great vine planted here in 1763 and had the two top stories of the great gatehouse removed in 1773. From the 1760s, the palace was used to house grace and favour residents. Many of the palace's rooms were adapted to be rent-free apartments, with vacant ones allocated by the Lord Chamberlain to applicants to reward past services rendered to the Crown. From 1862 to his death in 1867, the scientist and pioneer of electricity, Michael Faraday, lived here. From the 1960s, the number of new residents declined, with the last admitted in the 1980s. However, existing residents could continue to live here. In 2005, three remained, with none by 2017. By 1796, the Great Hall was restored, and in 1838, during the reign of Queen Victoria, the restoration was completed and the Great Palace opened to the public. The heavy-handed restoration plan at this time reduced the Great Gatehouse, the palace's principal entrance, by two stories and removed the lead couplers, adorning its four towers. Once opened, the palace soon became a major tourist attraction, and by 1881, over 10 million visits had been recorded. Visitors arrived both by boat from London and via a Hampton Court railway station, opened in February 1849. On the 2nd of September 1952, the palace was given statutory protection by being Grade 1 listed. Other buildings and structures within the grounds were separately Grade 1 listed, including the early 16th century Tilt Yard Tower, the only surviving example of the five original towers. Christopher Wren's Lion Gate, built for Anne and George I, and the Tudor and 17th century perimeter walls. In 1986, the palace was damaged by a major fire, which spread to the king's apartments. The fire claimed the life of Lady Daphne Gale, widow of General Sir Richard Gale, who resided in the Grace and Favour apartment. The fire led to a new programme of restoration work, which was completed in 1990. The Royal School of Needlework moved to premises within the palace from Prince's Gate in Kensington in 1987, and the palace also houses the headquarters of the historic Royal Palaces, a charitable foundation. I hope you've enjoyed our first part look at the Hampton Court Royal Palace, going back in history from its original start, the influence of the various kings and queens throughout history to a modern day. In part two, we'll go further forward and bring you up to date with its use. If you'd like to make contact with us or suggest any places you'd like us to feature in future podcasts, you can let me know through our website, londonvisited.co.uk or through our social media. It's that easy. Thanks for listening and really hope you enjoyed our podcast and we'll see you soon for part two. Bye.
Thanks for listening and please don't forget to subscribe to get more shows direct to your device. Also, why not visit our London Visited YouTube channel to get even more of London. Catch you soon on the next one. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Ladies, at Essentia Health, you're not just a patient. You're a partner in your healthcare journey. We'll get to the heart of your health questions, even the ones you're embarrassed to ask. We'll find solutions to fit your unique needs and lifestyle, because here, we're in it together. Feel confident in your care and in yourself. Schedule a women's health appointment with an Essentia Health provider today. Click the banner to learn more.